Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners, it is my distinct pleasure today to welcome an author, a journalist, a multiply award-nominated and Hugo Award winner for Best Fan Cast, Annalie Newitz. Annalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. I was... uh, I was very jazzed when you said that you'd come on in support of The Terraformers, which will be out uh, just a bit later this month. Yep, January 31st, the last possible day in January. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Who knows what this January will hold? It is, behind the scenes, November right now, and some stuff's been happening. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, things are looking good for the continuation of our country. So yep. that that's a, a sign of hope. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to cling to that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't cling to, to Twitter, but we can cling to maybe continuing democracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twitter died so that democracy could live. That's Honestly, that's I honor its sacrifice. Yes, indeed. We, we appreciate its sacrifice, and now we're ready for it to move on. <laughs> yeah. On to whatever the next hell site is. Personally, I'm going back to Tumblr. It seems like that's one of the big choices. Yeah, you know, that or, you know, going into the uncharted waters of Mastodon for many yeah. people. Um, although I do have many friends who've been there for a long time and are like, yes, I told you so. This is where <laughs> you should be. So props to them. Yeah, no, I, I've I've been on Mastodon since, uh, I don't know, time is fake. Yeah. But uh, it basically just mirror my Twitter posts to over there and get occasional engagement. Yeah, but yeah. It's a, it's a crazy world in November, and uh, we're, we're science fiction people. We know what it's like to actually try to predict the future. It's terrible. Don't do yeah. it. Yeah, just, just stick with the present. Extrapolate the present, and, yeah. uh, you know, you can't go wrong. Absolutely no way to go wrong uh, extrapolating the present. Uh, speaking of extrapolating the present and predicting the future, uh, is there anything that we need to know about the terraformers before we get into our reading? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to be reading a bit from the middle of the book. Um, This is a multi-generational epic about people who are terraforming another planet, which is called Saski. And it is set about 55,000 years in the future. So some things are a little different. Nice, nice, Um, nice. And uh, the epic journey in the section that I am reading from is a group of researchers are trying to set up public transportation for the planet. And so they're going out, they're taking environmental samples to see what the baseline is so that they can figure out if the transit they want to build might affect the environment. 
And in this future, uh, there are a lot of non-human animals who are humans, basically, who are people. Mm -hmm. And so our two characters are a ranger with the environmental rescue team, which you can kind of guess what that is from the label. And uh, Sulphur is working with their colleague, Zest, who is a cyborg cow. I love this for them. Yes, I do too. Zest is one of my favorite characters. And they come upon a group of cows who are not people. And so this is a very new experience for both of them. Well, I am ready for this. Okay. So they're outside of a city now. It had been over a click since the last signs of human habitation, and sulfur started to unwind a little as they inhaled the stench of fertilizer mixed with the tang of an ocean breeze. Taking a deep breath, they paused and held up an air sensor. I wonder if it's all agriculture from here on out. Based on my maps, yes, but a lot has changed in the last couple of years. There might be more structures. Suddenly, Zest stopped. Oh, Oh, this is... The cow trailed off and shook her head as if she were getting rid of an insect swarm. Ahead of them, Emerald Way dipped down into a valley, then curved to the right in the distance. Spread out over the grassy fields below were at least a hundred cows, eating, sleeping, and wandering idly. One of them emitted a long, low cry that was untranslatable. Zest found her voice again. It's a dairy ranch. Sulphur felt their throat tighten. What the shit? Oh no! They had heard about places like this, but always thought of them as something that happened in the distant past, or maybe on some autocrat's space habitat cruising so far away that you needed a dozen wormhole jumps to reach it. (laughs) Of course somebody did this here. Zest spoke in a flat, emotionless voice. Emerald, the corporation, wants to cash in, and I'm sure cow milk is a lucrative export. It was nauseating to imagine drinking milk from a person, and also unnecessary. You could always build it from seed stock in the kitchen, which was faster and carbon neutral, or drink from a coconut. (laughs) They turned to Zest, unsure what to do or say. Her facial muscles were so tight, it looked like the soft tissues around her nose had deflated. Well, there's nothing we can do. Let's finish the survey. The two of them plodded into the valley, where yellow and purple flowers were scattered among the grasses and fat bees thrummed like engines. A few cows looked up at them drowsily as they passed through a laser perimeter into the ranch proper. There were no signs of human settlement here, and no monitoring system that they could sense other than the perimeter. Sulphur knelt to pinch up some soil at the street's edge and ran it under their reader, saving the data up to servers. Zest took some air samples and stepped off the road into the field. Going to get some cores, she said. Sulphur nodded and watched surreptitiously as a rectangular window slid open in Zest's chrome-plated right crops and an actuator unfolded from within. (laughs) The tip configured itself into a core drill and Zest punctured the earth, extracting a gray-brown cylinder for analysis. A few cows began to drift over, fascinated or alarmed by the sound. (laughs) Zest took a core every few meters, ignoring them, 
until one of the larger animals stretched out a neck and nosed her. Get away from me, go! The cow who had touched Zest made a low groan that almost sounded like she was saying, No! I need to finish this, do you understand? Now there was a crowd of a half dozen cows surrounding Zest, some trying to nose her and others simply staring. There didn't seem to be anything menacing about their behavior, but Sulphur strode quickly to where Zest was. Surrounded by people who were animals, or people designed to imitate animals, Zest tried to push her way to the next sample site without much success. Let me through! Zest sounded a little panicky now. Hey, friends, Sulphur yelled, startling the mob. We're with the environmental rescue team. We're not with Emerald Corporation, okay? We're taking samples to make sure these fields stay healthy. That way you'll have a nice place to hang out and eat and we can keep people out of your, um, grass when they're commuting. <laughs> the Archaean realized they were babbling, not sure whether these cows understood or not. Based on their confused expressions, though, it seemed likely they were built as heirloom bovines. Their cognitive ability is deliberately damaged. They couldn't possibly consent to having their milk harvested. As Sulphur drew closer, making lots of noise, they scattered. By the time they had reached Zest's side, only a single cow was left, the one who had nosed her. Hey, friend, Sulphur said automatically to the cow, who stared ambiguously at them. Are you okay, Zest? Yeah, yeah, Zest plodded forward, the drill dangling in front of her like a scorpion stinger. We don't really need that many core samples. We can just move on. Furious, Zest turned on Sulphur. Don't tell me what kind of samples we need. W well, I, I didn't, I didn't mean. Sulphur was taken aback. The cow made another lowing noise and looked accusingly at them. Sorry, I'll go back to soil pinches on the road. The two rangers made their way silently through the ranch, sampling as they saw fit, and never saw another person the entire time. The cow continued to follow Zest at a polite distance. With a shiver of relief, Sulphur passed through the laser perimeter on the other side of the ranch. They waited for Zest to finish her last core, analyze it, and pack it back into the hole she'd yanked it from. The cow following her bent down to sniff the restored core, then reached out to nose Zest again. Zest stood frozen, her actuator half-folded back into its compartment. Then she reached out tentatively and touched her nose to the other cows before wheeling to trot across the laser barrier. The cow made another one of those moaning noises, unable to cross the invisible line that sent data to her nervous system, paralyzing her legs unless she backed off. But she kept standing there, watching them, as they rounded the curve and mounted the hill that would take them out of the valley. When they could no longer see the cows, Zest spoke. Sorry I was short with you back there. It's okay, I get it, Sulphur shrugged. Do you think they understood us? I don't know. Zest stared at the ground unhappily. Should we report this? I don't think it's legal to build people like that and take their milk. As if to mock Sulphur's point, a hologram winked to life over the road and flashed the words, Welcome to Natural Milky! Just one <gasps> click off Emerald Way! Exit 10! Now they could see a muddy off-ramp that led to a distant cluster of trellises. Sulphur flinched. I think we can skip that on our survey. I'm sure the conditions are very similar to the ones in the pasture, Zest replied. We can use those as a proxy. 
I still wonder if we should report this. I, I don't think people are supposed to build. Zest ignored them, projecting a map into the air. Looks like we only have two more clicks to go and then the road loops around and reconnects south of this ranch. The urge to do something about the natural milky atrocity was itching at Sulphur's mind and wouldn't let them go. Mm. I'm taking detailed notes on that place and submitting them to council. They might be able to do something. Maybe. We don't know what that was. I mean, it's not a crime to build animals with low intelligence ratings. We do it all the time. But the milk. I agree it's a compost fire situation out there. I've met a lot of animals with low intelligence ratings, but never a cow. Believe me, I'd like to murder the people who did that. But our job is to protect the whole environment. The reports and recommendations we make in a couple of months will affect generations of people. If we start screaming about every little violation, it's going to undermine our credibility. If the executives decide that we can't be trusted, our bosses could force us to follow that diarrhea-soaked plan for really bad transit, and we'll get a bunch of half-cooked train tracks. <sighs> Chastened, Sulphur was silent for almost half a click. Finally, they spoke haltingly. I know you're right, but I feel, I don't know, like we have to do something. The cow didn't reply, and Sulphur tried to imagine how they would feel coming upon a field of humans built with animal-level intelligence ratings. They wouldn't want a cow telling them what to do about it. They spoke again, this time more quietly. How are you doing, Zest? She sighed. Honestly, I'm not sure. Pretty traumatized, actually. I can imagine. Looking into her face, I, I thought she was trying to communicate something, like asking me to help her escape. But this isn't some adventure story. She was only an animal. Sulphur sighed. Well... That's the filthiest part of all of this, isn't it? Those intelligence ratings are an arbitrary measure, and bioengineers have different tricks for doing them. I've met a lot of animals who are clearly people, and I'm sure mm. that you have too. All right. Ooh. That was their adventure among the cows. Oh, I love that. I Goddamn also... corporate dairy culture. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, as, as as people who live in California, we have, of course, both driven past uh, so many cows yeah. on our time on I-5. Yes, I was actually thinking about that a little bit. There's a, a section of I-5 down near uh, Los Angeles, actually, where there's these huge ranches just packed with cows i mean the whole area smells really bad it's it feels terrible like, like it feels like a horrible like torture prison you know and and the cows are just they are listless and sad and i don't know if they're being turned into meat or if they're being turned into dairy cows i don't know but uh, it's knows? always super traumatizing to drive by and just be like oh you guys yeah I'm sorry so at least these cows are not going to be murdered they're just being you know treated like animals so, yeah um but yeah it's could, uh, could be worse it could be worse and there are other more difficult parts of um of uh the of hmm, what should i say there are other more difficult situations in the book uh but i don't ever kill any animals so you don't have to worry about that that's nice <laughs> Yes. <laughs> kill, I kill some hominins, but... Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, they probably had it coming. <laughs> oh, they did. <laughs> oh, excellent. We love to hear about that. <laughs> I also just, like, as soon as you said, oh, they're doing transit planning, my ears immediately perked up <laughs> because 
I am a transit gay if ever there was one. Yay. Yeah. I actually, um, I did a lot of research on transit in the Bay Area um, to to do that section of the book. The whole middle section of the book um, is about building a good transit plan. Um, I'm and so excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> it was exciting for me, too. Um, I, I've read very few science fiction stories that deal with transit. There are a few. Um, mm-hmm. And it's such an important part of um, imagining a civilization when you're doing world building. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like, um, you know, I feel like if you were terraforming another planet to be urban, like you definitely would have to have a transit plan because otherwise, what are people going to do? You know, people yeah. aren't going to just take spaceships everywhere. You know, it's not Dune, okay, people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although in Dune, they, I guess, have some pretty nice uh, vessels that they use, like, within the atmosphere so yeah um yeah so i, I shouldn't make fun of dune but yeah well, it's not... but we can make fun of dune a little bit just sure, you know yeah, as yeah. a treat <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, w- I was just thinking about uh it, it is in my contract that i mention every episode or at least every couple of episodes uh friends at the table a uh an actual play podcast about smart characterization, critical world building, and fun interaction between good friends. Uh, And their sci-fi seasons are all uh, set far future, but in a linked world where, you know, their first season, the the second sci-fi season is like 10, 15, 20,000 years after the first one. I Uh, love that. And so just thinking about, like, the Terraformers being this generational story, I was just like, oh, yes, hello. Here's my entryway into talking about Friends at the Table today. Yes. I mean, I I love that. I love seeing, um, like, long-term outcomes in mm-hmm. stories. And for Terraformers, um, it, only, it only takes place over a couple thousand years. Um, but that is the time frame you need if you want to talk about environmental change and mm-hmm. if you want to talk about how do you um you know build up an entire environment and with many ecosystems including urban ecosystems and so um it was really important to me to be able to have that amount of time and i think For that sure. um, i'm hoping that readers are happy to come along on the journey there are characters that we meet that kind of don't show up again and then there's characters who are who show up throughout the book because they mm-hmm. managed to to live for a really long time. But um, it's the, the multi-generational thing has just always been a huge excitement for me for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I am with you all the way on this. Um, so we're, we're kind of circling around this already. Uh, but is there any part of this book that you're just so excited got to make it into the end product oh man this is a book full of treats um i wrote it during the pandemic so Mm -hmm. i was very much looking for an escape and it is it's not a a book that is um you know rosy and and optimistic it's it is hopeful uh but there's a lot of struggle and um at the same time i was incredibly happy to be able to create a cast of characters that is just full of non-human animals and Mm -hmm. so we had the cyborg cow that we met in the reading um but there's also a very major character who's a moose 
Ooh. And um, moose, uh, this moose is named Whistle, and he can fly because obviously, if you're going to have mm-hmm. a moose, you're going to have to make this moose fly. Um, there's actually a lot of characters who can fly in the book, and um, and there's like some hand wavy reasons for why that's <laughs> physically possible. And um, the moose uh, Whistle has a romance, so there's a moose romance. Um, good, which is good. Very I exciting. love this. Um, and one of the other characters is a sentient flying train. And oh, I had excellent. Yeah, I love stories about sentient spaceships. It's just like totally my jam. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, it's just I love imagining um, consciousness inside of bodies that we don't think of as having consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted the public transit to have consciousness and. So that was something that all along I knew I wanted to do. And I actually, I interviewed um, the uh, head of transit in San Francisco, Jeffrey Tumlin, who's also a transit gay, by the way. Excellent. Um, Oh, I would hope for San Francisco. Yeah. (laughs) And he was incredibly kind, gave me a lot of time to talk to me about this bonkers book about a sentient flying train. And he gave me a lot of really great pointers about what he thought train consciousness would be like. I mean, this is a guy who's worked with trains mm-hmm. and transit his whole life. And um, it turned out he'd really he'd really thought about it. And one of the things he recommended that did make it into the book is that the train should be obsessed with strategy gaming. Oh. Because it's always trying to optimize, because they're always trying to optimize their route and mm-hmm. they're just very interested in how do you do whatever you're doing in the best possible way and iterate it over and over again. And um, so there's a whole subplot about um, about gaming and who <laughs> likes to do gaming in this future world and who owns the games and what kind of games that trains like versus what kinds of games that like more like um, indie players like corporate mm-hmm. games versus indie games. So that was um, also really fun. And the the only other thing I will mention, I, it really is true that this book is full of things that I love, but um, there is a very small subplot that is um, about robots who like to hook up with robots and Excellent. they call themselves R for R. Um, <laughs> so I just like threw in a little like future trans culture um robot trans culture i guess i didn't think i could be more hyped for this book but (laughs) you done it again knew (laughs) it yeah i just you know i gave myself some fan service and i ended up with flying moose romance and robots hooking up excellent and sentient trains sentient flying trains who are hooking up excellent (laughs) quite literally (laughs) yes literally and Literally. (laughs) If you know what I mean. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, that is so delightful. Now, this wouldn't be Tales from the Trunk if we didn't talk about some of the things that didn't make it in. So are there any parts that just were too too self-fanservice-y or just didn't make it in because of plot considerations or anything that you're just torn up about still? That's a really good question. Um, there's a, a lot of different things that didn't fully make it in. Um, originally, going back to the R for R thing, um, <laughs> that was originally going to be a huge part of the book. And I think one day it will be part of a book that I write. I, I think it's pretty clear that I'm, 
moving in the direction of just like robots fucking all the time mm-hmm. is it okay if i say fuck absolutely yeah. okay good um so i had a whole i had originally wanted to have this like whole like scene in like the r for r sexual subculture and mm-hmm. like there's a few references to it in the book now that are like just little teases um but there's not like a whole like robot sex party which um you know sadly that wound up on the cutting room floor there's other very yeah. hot sex in the book but um it's not it's not an r for r or g um and then robot sex party dot tumblr dot com is my new blog you can follow me there i i am yes i am following you now <laughs> in my mind um and you know the only other thing that kind of wound up on the cutting room floor was that uh one of the things about this planet that was really fun for me is doing the geology i love geology mm, um, mm-hmm. as a science writer and i wanted to just have a little fun with it and so this is a planet that doesn't have plate tectonics which is oh. actually more common than you might think um, a lot of scientists believe that venus doesn't have plate tectonics but it does have volcanism um, oh, and that was wild. what i wanted to do in this book was i was like okay it's gonna have volcanoes there's a whole plot that hinges on volcanoes there's a bunch of characters who live inside a volcano and i was like okay there should be a volcano war like mm-hmm. there should be people fighting each other with volcanoes somehow not like the volcanoes would move around but like, right that they'd be figuring out how to like rip open the planet and like shoot lava at each other and stuff and there certainly is a lot of volcano action in the book Mm -hmm. um and there is a battle uh there is a kind of a a war but uh it isn't like a full-on like i really had in my head like we're gonna do a volcano (laughs) war yes and um so sadly there is not an an all-out volcano war Um, that's unfortunate yeah it it just I kept trying to write my way into it. And every time I would get there, I'd be like, okay, but if they did that, then they would do that. Like, cause they will wreck the whole planet. If mm-hmm. they do that. And the whole thing is that nobody wants to wreck the planet because it's a real estate company is developing it. So the company doesn't want to wreck the planet. Right, they want to sure. sell the planet. So, and the people who live there don't want to wreck the planet cause they want to live on the planet. And so I was like, well, okay. It's true that in wars we, often wreck things you know Mm -hmm. like but um it seemed like in this case it would just be too much of a reach because um Mm -hmm. it it just i don't know but anyway so sorry about that there's still awesome volcano action but there's not actual people fighting volcano versus volcano that's unfortunate (laughs) but now we can look forward to uh i'm sure chuck tingles not pounded by the volcano war in annalee newitt's uh, terraformers i i i hope that it's actually like pounded in the ass by a volcano because like i hope so yeah you know like what an eruption look <laughs> like, chuck yeah. call us hot, <laughs> hot magma surged out of my <laughs> rocky hole <laughs> there is not a finer podcast on the internet than tales from the trunk my friends <laughs> agree Oh, uh, delightful. (laughs) So, uh, one thing that I love just springing on people because nobody's ever prepared to talk about their faves is, uh, is there any media that you've been consuming, uh, whether it's books, podcasts, TV shows, video games, board games, you name it, that you're just so hyped to tell people about right now? 
Um, I will mention a podcast, actually, that I'm super hyped about right now, um, which is uh, a podcast from Michael Hobbs, who is a Ooh. journalist who um, does a lot of um, debunking journalism. He mm -hmm. did um, Maintenance Phase. I mean, he currently still does Maintenance Phase, which is debunking like health fads. He has a new podcast out, which is called If Books Could Kill. Ooh. And it's, which is a great title, like congrats to them yeah. for that title. Yeah. And it's basically debunking popular nonfiction books that he and his co-host call airport books. Mm. Uh, but it's things like Freakonomics and The Tipping Point. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that they're going to do Sapiens because that's another incredibly terrible, um, <laughs> poorly, poorly reasoned, um, badly researched book. Um, and they just, it's a very satisfying podcast because um, Michael Hobbs is a huge um, research nerd. Mm -hmm. And so he just goes really deep on the claims that books are, that authors are making in the books and does the research and finds out what is completely made up and mm -hmm. what's completely bonkers. And um, also reveals kind of the ideology of these books that purport to be just rational, like not unbiased, you know, yep. pronouncements. And he's like, well, actually, <laughs> you know, this book turns out to be incredibly like, pro-gun mm -hmm. um, and incredibly racist and um so america so america right so that's the first episode freakonomics just came out and it, it's just a sheer delight and if you like to hear smart people debunking pseudoscience and fake history it's it's just a treat so this that's, sounds incredible yeah highly recommend i'm i'm adding it to my podcatcher at this very minute woohoo Finally, before we go, uh, is there anything else, say, mm, I don't know, maybe a Hugo winning fan cast uh, or anything else that uh, you'd like to tell our listeners about that uh, is, you know, work you're really proud of? Uh, well, work that I've done. <laughs> work that you've done that you're really proud of. You get to toot your own horn here now. Um, so, of course, um, I co-host a podcast with the luminous and wonderful charlie jane anders who we is love charlie jane brilliant author and comic book writer and tv writer um and we uh on the podcast it's called our opinions are correct um every two weeks we take on um a topic in science fiction and science and politics and kind of tease it out and talk about how science fiction is really relevant to all these other parts of our lives. And mm -hmm. um, so we have, well, I don't know what episodes we're going to have coming up by the time this comes out. That's but, fair. Time's um, fake. Who knows? Yeah, time's fake. But we did just finish an episode, which will now long be out by the time you listen to this, um, which is about the myth of progress, uh, oh. which is really fun because it's a big part of science fiction, but it's also a big part of political rhetoric. Um, mm -hmm. This idea that we're always moving forward and like things are always getting better. Um, and we interviewed the economist Brad DeLong and he talked to us about the idea of economic progress oh, in the 20th very century. Cool. So it was just really fun. Lots of um, crunchy uh, social science and also, of course, talking all about fa our favorite science fiction that uh, mm -hmm. either believes in progress or doesn't believe in progress. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is that uh, people who like my science fiction might not know that I also write nonfiction science books. And my most recent book um, in that area came out 
last year. It's called Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. And it's a nice. look at new archaeology that explains why people abandoned ancient cities that were kind of at the heart of their civilizations. Oh, and my God. It um, is it's really fun. I traveled to all four cities and talked to archaeologists on site. It was took a long time to research, but it was a delight. And um, it really sheds a lot of light on what's happening today in our cities. And um, Very gives you, cool. Yeah, it gives you a really good sense of um, how to know when your city or your social network, for example, mm-hmm. is crumbling and what the signs are. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's my, my other thing that I would plug is if you – I hear it's a good dad book, too. So people are giving it to their dads. Perfect. I, <laughs> I, the only thing I can give my dad is foodstuffs or books that it would be right up his alley, but he somehow just hasn't gotten around to. So yeah. this sounds great on that front. Cool. Yay. Also, I'm buying a copy for myself because <laughs> that sounds great on the me front. Awesome. Yeah, I hope you like it. I can almost guarantee that I will. Uh, whenever I am have the mental space to read things again, because burnout, it's terrible. Don't yeah, do it. Yeah, so relatable. Yeah. Uh, but on lighter topics, uh, <laughs> where can our listeners find you on if Twitter still exists, for instance? Um, well, you can always find me on the web uh, at AnnaLeeNewitz.com. Um, Beautiful website. Recommend it. Better yep, than Twitter. Better than Twitter. Um, and there's that site links to my very occasional newsletter, which is on Button Down. Um, it also links to Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AnnaLeeN. Um, I just started doing TikTok. It's pretty uh, sparse right now, but I'm hoping to do a lot more, especially um, as the year winds up. And that's uh, my name on TikTok is... Ghidorah Not Weak, um, spelled like Ghidorah the Giant Monster. Perfect. Uh, because Ghidorah is a winner. He's not weak. Yep. So uh, Ghidorah Not Weak on TikTok. I hope to see you there. Fantastic. Well, Emily, it's been such a delight having you on the show. Uh, really outstanding. Uh, and I cannot wait for the Terraformers, which will be out at the end of this month because it is January right now. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh releasing january 31st yeah thanks for having me hillary this was really fun and thanks for letting me read about uh cows and their feelings and talk about gay transit absolutely i love cows their feelings and gay transit tales from the trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful oakland california our theme music is paper wings by lillian boyd you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. Assuming it still exists, you can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbusinex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Thank you.